Hello, all you lovely souls who revel in embracing life just as I do. This is Nirja Malik and you are welcome into my world of I Embrace. And what do we intend to do here? We delve into the many layers and shades of my life, exploring resilience, positivity, strength, and the inherent fun in laughter that lies deep within each of us. Interludes from my own exciting and adventurous journey, my personal battles and victories that have brought forth innumerable lessons in my life. It is these learnings that I place on a golden platter with utmost humility for your personal consumption. Hello, my beautiful and wonderful listeners. It is such a pleasure to come back to this awesome space where I just have to shut my eyes and visualize that I'm personally connected to each and every one of you as I share my life's journey. So we were talking about chemotherapy and the fact that it impartially destroys both the good cells and the bad cells without discrimination. It is the good cells that help raise one's immunity. And when they get destroyed, it makes us vulnerable and open to any possible infection. But let me tell you, it was just a matter of time before I swung this malignant disease back into the universe. On the operating table in Mumbai, the doctor removed not only the lump from my breast, but also 21 nodes from my armpit, of which, by the way, nine were malignant. Now, what did these nodes do? They acted like sentinels or soldiers, and in fact, successfully arrested the cancer in the armpit itself. They performed a lumpectomy and not a mastectomy which would have involved the removal of the entire breast. Now, I just want to make a point which perhaps I have made before, but I'll make it again. Because if the doctor doesn't ask the patient, what would you like me to do? Would you like me to do a lumpectomy or a mastectomy? What does it mean? It means that he is not giving you a choice. It means that he knows his job and that the location of the lump is very close to the wall of the chest. There is not enough margin for him to just remove the lump, which is called a lumpectomy. So if the doctor gives you a choice of what would you like, do you want a mastectomy, which means the removal of the entire breast, or a lumpectomy, I would 
leaned very, very vehemently towards a lumpectomy. And why would I do that? Because when you get a lumpectomy done, the wound is lesser, the cut is lesser, and therefore healing is quicker as opposed to the entire breast removal. So they performed a lumpectomy and not a mastectomy, which would have involved the removal of the entire breast. Life began to gradually sail back to my conventional existence. And I was happy being my good old footloose and fancy free self with one wondrous difference, a passionate desire to be by the side of every cancer patient, counseling them to not only merely thinking of fighting the disease, but facing it and conquering it as true-blooded warriors, leaving no room for any other thought. This passionate drive eventually helped me reach out to several cancer patients into whom I could enthuse the spirit of a samurai born to win. But as fate would have it, history was about to repeat itself once more. On the night of November 17th, 2004, I happened to turn over to sleep in my stomach, something I hadn't done since my last surgery, as I was supposed to sleep only on my back. God and the universe, most often, have unusual ways of communication. Or else why would I, out of the blue, want to sleep in my front? While lying so, I suddenly felt a peculiar, though familiar, discomfort in my breast. I slowly rose up on my hands like a snake. You remember the cobra pose? And felt the area where I had experienced the uneasiness. And sure enough, I felt a lump. The following day, it was once again diagnosed as cancer. So the first time in 1998, it was the left breast. And the second time in 2004, it was the right breast. Another point that I would like to bring up here, I will digress, is that when I went to Bombay, I wanted to get a mastectomy done. I remember getting down on my knees and telling my doctor, please to be a mastectomy. I will repeat here what I said then, that not enough research has been done to prove that if a lump is removed in the form of a lumpectomy from one breast, the rest of the breast is open to getting cancer again. So please do keep this important point in mind. And that is why it is better to go in for a lumpectomy than a mastectomy, considering that there is a good margin and considering that it can be removed as you would a bad bit on the upper layer of an apple, which you scoop out of the knife and chuck it. In that point of time, I had already started counselling patients from the time I had been diagnosed the first 
So from December of 1998, I had started counseling patients automatically because my uncle had said, a friend has come, please go and meet him. He's feeling very low in your hospital. One of those patients that I was talking to and counseling turned to me and said, prior to the second diagnosis, you've already gone through cancer once. What if it recurred? How would you handle it? I think I was quite taken aback. But I replied without much ado. I had hurled it back into the universe and I will do so once more. You all have heard stories of me conquering cancer. But I guess you (laughs) then actually see me facing it once again. Did I put it into the universe? (laughs) Did that patient activate a series of events? So that people could in actuality see me go through it once while I was still counselling patients. So there it was. Time for another conquering feat. I was absolutely ready this time. This cancerous growth, please remember, wasn't a spread of the first invasion. It was a second primary one. So many years later, If cancer recurs in another part of the body, then it doesn't become a secondary to the primary lump, but it becomes a second primary. So this is what happened the second time. Many moons later, between 1998 and 2004, I was absolutely free of cancer. So it came back as a Second, primary. So this cancerous growth, as I mentioned, wasn't a spread of the first invasion. It was a second primary one. And 38 nodes were removed from my right armpit. And none, by the grace of God, were malignant. This was an advantage. But my body had already taken a beating once before and the battle royale took the best out of me. This time over, there were no more tears and the determined decision to live for my twins, my husband, my parents, my family and friends swept over me wave after wave to vanquish the Hydra once again and throw it back into the universe. Since December 1998, these 25 years of passionate and dedicated experience in counselling cancer patients have positively impacted thousands of people. It was along the way in 2004 that I set up the Apollo Cancer Support Group on the 8th of March, coinciding with Women's International Day. I have been a living example for all my cancer patients and lead them to create goals for the future while facing the disease. I inspire them to have faith, hope and courageous fearlessness. I encourage them to join me once they have completed their treatment and to be as shining examples to other patients, guiding them as to how they can overcome and conquer the disease also. Now, what does this do? This creates a ripple effect of positivity, belief 
and eternal bonding as newer and newer patients keep flowing into this wondrous circle of cancer conquerors but what made me rise beyond expectations to throw back the hydra not once but twice into the universe what was so different about me compared to most of the other mortals living on planet earth why was i able to conquer this disease even while i had only 25% chances of survival as declared by the specialist the first time what was it in me that was so obviously different the answer is just one simple thought with every challenge that i faced from a child nurtured in the hills of kashmir till now i embraced each and every one of them one by one and because i embraced them so wholeheartedly i conquered them to understand this in more depth let us embark on a journey together exploring all the challenges and adversities of my life and how i always overcame them with the gusto of a seasoned gladiator because and what is the bottom line <laughs> the bottom line is that if i can do it so can you i know i love to talk about being born yes on the dining table in my grandparents home in srinagar so once again let me take you down that route i was born on a dining table in my nana and nani's home way up in the valley of srinagar kashmir and guess where i was conceived yes i know that too i was conceived in kunur a small hill station in the nilgiris down south of india my eyes open blissfully to a world i couldn't possibly decipher for that moment at the foot of the mighty himalayan range and it wouldn't be impertinent to mention here that by virtue of being born on a dining table i was quite literally born a foodie so whenever i was chided for my gastronomical excesses by my mother i would simply questioningly counter with a touch of innocence ma who told you to give birth to me on a dining table because what do you do on a dining table you eat and i definitely respect not only my birthplace but the actual tables that i was born on my father was a distinguished naval officer and shortly after my birth was posted to london for obvious reasons my mother had to be with him hence for the next couple of years i was nurtured and perpetually pampered by my grandparents biji and papa ji whom i grew up to believe were my real parents and therefore by default i refer to all my aunts as didi or older sister in fact people wonder if i have an identity crisis <laughs> because they can't understand why i'm calling my masis or chitis my didis i was specially very attached to my grandmother 
Maura is a daughter than a granddaughter. After the party thrown to celebrate my mother's return from London, I questioned BG as to why this auntie hadn't gone home though all the guests had departed, impervious to the fact that this auntie was actually the one who had conceived and nurtured me in her womb. But there was one other attachment which was destined to bloom steadily over the years and end most traumatically, posing one of the earliest inconceivable challenges in my life. She was Anuradha Rao, or endearingly called Papu. And who was Papu? Papu was Biji's youngest daughter. And she was a mere five years older than me. Her biggest predicament was that while she had reigned supremely in the limelight of love and affection from all quarters of the family, as the youngest of them all, I had made a sudden entry into her blessed world, shifting the limelight not only just by a few notches, but the entire beam onto myself. While she was an angel around me in the presence of others, in our private moments, she would pinch my buttocks till I brought the roof down with my howling. She was, after all, only five years older than me. And I guess the fangs of jealousy reigned supreme for the initial years of our life together. But as time flew by, we became the best of friends and the closest of sisters, even though... In actuality, she was my aunt. She and I were the only two girls amongst a plethora of grown-ups and we embarked on doing things most often secretly just for the fun of it all. And yes, she would involve herself as the guardian aunt in protection while I conjured up the most ridiculous of mischievous deeds in a gleeful merriment. Whether it was stuffing pillows under our blankets to give the impression that we were still asleep during our afternoon nap or sneaking out through the bedroom window or climbing up trees and munching on forbidden fruits, raw or ripe, grown in abundance by my green-thumbed papaji. As usual, after romping out clandestinely through our bedroom window, while everyone was chit-chatting or having their siesta, we would make it a point to return to our beds just before our evening milk was served. But you know how life is. You can never be sure of anything. As fate would have it, our little joyful escapades soon got discovered. And how? One particular afternoon, while enjoying fresh ripe mulberries or shatush, perched on the tree, realization dawned that we were late for our evening milk. We scrambled back into our beds without even glancing at each other, just in time, and the door opened and BG walked in with our bubbling with froth cups of milk. The moment she sh- saw us, She stood erect and in a stern, administrative manner asked, Did you both go out of this room? We looked at her, 
batting our eyelids most innocently and said, No, Biji. Without shifting her attention away from our faces, she asked us once again, Did you both go down to the garden? We again, looking our most virtuous selves, said, No, Biji. Then holding our ears, she walked us to the mirror and to our horror, we saw the tell-tale signs of red mulberry juice smeared all over our mouths. Obviously, in our hurry to jump back into our beds, we hadn't bothered to look at each other's faces closely. So what ensued was a good thrashing, a well-bolted and secured window, and an uncompromising forbiddance to ever wander into the garden again. But resilience, where do you think my resilience comes from? In a few days' time, the urge to be back climbing trees uninhibitedly and indulging in all the wonderful, natural, mouth-watering delicacies that we had so gotten used to overtook us to the point of no return. A screwdriver, located in the hidden recesses of a toolbox, came to the aid of our juvenile delinquencies and the two of us were back in our favourite haunt in the most innovative and furtive ways. Oh my God, how we enjoy doing those silly little things that all girls do at our age. But we, we had to do things in random excess most of the time. All said and done, both Papu and I lived such adventurous lives, morning, noon and night, freely, joyously and without any inhibitions. We were like two peas in a pod, inextricably and utterly dedicated to each other. We would get caught, most often, doing things that were mischievous to the core, get punished in the bargain and then bash on regardless, merrily repeating the same things all over again. Newer ideas would emerge, gushing forth like hot lava from our active little minds with never a care of the consequences of our enjoyable, though devious, exploits. Life meandered on for both of us as we eventually moved away from our place of birth, one to Pune and the other beyond the borders of our country. However, our friendship with each other grew deeper and deeper into an unconditional, transparent bond of love, like the eternal streams that float in abundance through the valley of our nativity. Papu, my mother's youngest sister, fell in love with my father's youngest brother and in spite of causing much consternation amongst the family members, they finally married each other. December 25th, 1982 saw me arriving in India from London where Mandeep's posting had taken us for a few years. I returned with mixed feelings and with the shocking knowledge that she had been sadly diagnosed with blood cancer. I always thought that cancer was exclusively rampant in my father's lineage, but in this case, 
it had occurred for the first time in my mother's family. Whenever the chemo nurse tried to locate the veins in her arms unsuccessfully, Papu would cry in agony because of the constant pricking of the needle. I would purposely hold her arm and support her from behind so that she didn't see the tears flowing silently and incessantly down my face. All these wonderful years of unconditional love and togetherness planted a seed in my mind. There and then, I decided to visit the Vaishno Devi temple up in the Himalayas to entreat the goddess to cure her. February 28, 1983, I returned to London to be with Mandeep. I was with her from the 25th of December, 1982. I left her on the 28th of February, 1983, returning to London to be with Mandeep. I promised Papu I would be back in June and told her to hang on there, get better and be up and about to meet me. I caught the flight back with a heavy heart and many a prayer of hope. For as mortal human beings, what else can we do in certain situations but hope and pray for the best? I embrace isn't just about my journey of conquering cancer it's about embracing life in all its entanglement and beauty remember in this journey of life you are never alone and i need to thank you for becoming a part of this inspiring journey Thank you for joining me today on I Embrace and my heartfelt wishes. Stay resilient, stay positive, and most importantly, keep embracing life in all its glory. <laughs>